Welcome to Fret Not with me, Rosie Bennett. Fret Not is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the champions in our field about the lessons that have defined their careers and help us to work out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process, so let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realise that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. This podcast is brought to you by Augustine Strings, a company with real heart, a fascinating history and my string of choice. Check them out at augustinestrings.com. Today I talk to American classical guitarist and Instagram influencer, Hannah Murphy. Hannah, what is a lesson you've learned that has been the most meaningful to you? I think a lesson that I've learned that's been really meaningful is to enjoy this process of playing guitar and be trying to do guitar as a profession. I think a lot of times we can get caught up in um, whenever I get the next thing, mm. you know, then I'll be happy, then I'll be successful. If once I get this job, once I get this degree, once I play this concert. So um, my lesson right now is is that I've been enjoy is just enjoying the process of playing and uh, enjoying wherever it takes me. That's a really good point. It can be so tricky when we get into this pattern of self-improvement. It can be hard to act from a perspective of curiosity and enjoyment and self-confidence instead of self-deprecation and fear and guilt, which I think is often a lot more common. Um, when was this turning point for you? Was there a particular moment that really stands out where your sort of mentality started to shift? The turning point for me with that was, um, you know, I was, I think it was when I was in my undergrad and I was auditioning for master's programs mm. and um, I was out at lunch after an audition and I was at um, Jimmy John's, which is, if you're in America, is like a, just a sandwich restaurant. It's like a chain. And they have all these like stupid things written all over the wall. And they had this one thing that said, the gap between more and enough never closes. And I think they were like talking like about sandwiches, mm-hmm. but it made me think like, wow, when I get into this, whatever master's program I get into, I'm going to have another thing. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be like, I got this master's degree. I'm at this great school. It's not enough. I'm going to have to do the next mm-hmm. thing. So knowing that it's it's never going to close, you have to just kind of let like things be enough like to, to stop trying to to get more because it's there's never there's never enough it's just always more 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 mm. so kind of just trying to remember that um, wherever you're at just enjoy it instead of stressing so much about it and stressing about like what the next thing is so much i think that's a really important lesson in every field but i think it is especially so in music performance because we don't really have an ultimate goal as such the dream is kind of built up of many things and many of those things that we don't even know are not part of that feeling that we're trying to achieve which ultimately is you know sort of life satisfaction Mm -hmm. it's something that I've ended up talking about quite a lot on the podcast actually Um, I had a really interesting conversation about this with Adam Levin that we sort of experience our lives as trying to achieve a certain set of goals that come and go 
and that's how we get better and manifest the bigger things that we really want to get out of our lives but that as musicians we rarely think about what our actual parameters for success are and so we can rarely detect that a goal has been reached and that can make it really tiring and also disorientating I suppose it's a kind of symptom of imposter syndrome not being able to identify what's great about you or the things that you can do well. Yeah, because you could be one of the greatest guitarists in the world, but you could say like, well, I'm not better. Than... There's always somebody better, right? Or there's somebody getting a job that, you know, you would have wanted yeah. or you would like, to, you know, you want to play Carnegie Hall, but then you look over and it's like, well, this person is playing with this orchestra. So like, when does it ever become mm. the final Thing. So I think it's just really, like you said, just not going so goal-oriented, but just kind of enjoying the process. And often when we talk about these lessons, there's this subtext of having not been doing or feeling a certain way in the past. Do you think that you enjoy the process these days? Yeah, I, I do enjoy I mean, uh, there's nothing I enjoy more than playing guitar. So I'm trying to, I always try to remember that. Like that's That's my favorite thing to do is play guitar and it's taken me on so many like cool adventures and meeting um, lots of cool people like yourself. I got to meet you (laughs) and yeah, (laughs) you just get to, you know, do like lots of interesting things, which the guitar has taken me into like interesting places and meeting interesting people. So um, it's just, I enjoy it. And it's, there's a lot of things that are stressful about it. Obviously, I think we can all agree that, especially with classical guitar, there's a lot of stressful aspects. Mm. Um, But, you know, trying to just overcome it and then just enjoy it. Mm. I think it is weird because the idea of being professional at something makes it inherently quite stressful. And with classical music, we feel that from quite a young age, but it's sort of semi-unclear what even being professional means at that age. I suppose it has something to do with taking it seriously, which in a lot of ways is actually quite sad when you put it like that. Um, But then as a lived experience of the work that has to go into becoming a good player when you're little, it is true that there isn't a lot of active time for the wonder and love that, say, is associated with something that's a passion. I've been thinking a lot about this recently because one of my great loves in life is writing and my first love probably was reading. And now, as part of what I do to make my living, I get to write for Tonebase and I occasionally spotlight for some other magazines, but I don't feel the competitive pull of that field. It doesn't bother me that there are hundreds and thousands of amazing writers who are doing a million times better than I am, financially speaking, but also just in the craft itself. And in fact, the experience of it is just completely different. I don't feel competitive at all. I'm just thrilled to be part of that world. And in a way, that doesn't make me nervous about what I'm doing, even though I do try to improve. But with guitar, that definitely has made me often feel insecure about who I am and what I'm doing and my capabilities, which I actually think it's quite a normal feeling, really, quite, well, maybe a common feeling, that if one day all the competition in the world would disappear, it would sort of be a relief, at least in our line of work. Yeah, it's interesting, because, like, you think... There's, I think it's because of the technique of it and there's lots of great players and we want to be the best that we can be. Mm. Um, and with classical, it's not as, you know, free as, you know, like you said, writing, um, where it's coming from just you by yourself, but you're, you're playing a piece that 
intimidating. Mm-hmm. Mm, I think there's an awful lot about the music world that can be intimidating. Um, but definitely that last part that you touched on briefly of finding something that you bring to the table. I think that's a statement that's just as relieving as it is stressful, to be honest, um, especially as we walk this sort of tightrope of, on the one hand, cultivating and on the other hand, taming our egos. I think there's a complex attitude towards confidence and enjoyment, at least in classical music education, that sort of stems from this past generation deification of music at a time when deifying meant a lot more in the Western world. And in some ways, I think that that idea of having this far off goal that you see but never achieve, it's just such a strange concept. And it's definitely not one that helps people make better music. I think it just helps people suffer easier. Uh, but that being said, you and I have had very different musical upbringings. Um, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, I was um, not considering being a professional guitarist until I was already in college. Mm. So it was kind of felt like I was, like, I guess behind because I hadn't decided. I mean, I, I wanted to be a musician when I was a kid, but I, was, I wasn't, like, originally going to school for, um, like, to be a music teacher like in public schools. Mm-hmm. So I chose um, a performance degree and a performance career path when I was um, a sophomore in college mm-hmm. or sophomore or junior maybe. So like I felt like I was already a junior and then I was graduate. I was already just had to start thinking about like master's programs. So I started thinking like I got to like catch up mm-hmm. and looking back, I was, you know, I was only in college. I was still really young, but um, it felt like it was like really late to be starting that. Yeah, I definitely think that that sort of feeling of catching up is just something that's universal. And it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Um, I had the impression while I was studying in America that I met a lot of people who were very proud of how much they'd gotten done in a short space of time. So having come from the sort of environment that I was brought up in where people were competing between having started at five or six years old and, you know, there'd be one violinist who'd started at two or three. Um, America was my first experience of people who were like, look, I started at 16 and I'm now this good. So I guess we're just crippled both ways by the concept of, you know, what might have been if things had been different. Yeah, it is interesting. It is um, it is weird to, to think that, like... Um... I know, I know a lot of people in America have started, like, even just, like, when they first get to college. And, like, I had played when I was a kid, but I didn't take it as serious as I could have until I got to college. And I think maybe it's, like, something about, like, American culture. Like, we try to do, like, a such a diverse amount of things. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, all the kids do all kinds of stuff. You know, they're always doing a million different activities. Mm-hmm. So you do like guitar is like a like one of your activities and then maybe it sticks but you you nobody had told you to do it when you were a kid it just kind of sticks later on Mm. it's true if you're doing so many things there probably isn't time for you to decide what you like the most I mean life as a kid is actually so busy you really forget about it as you get older um but so you say that you weren't thinking of becoming a performer until later on in your studies um what was it that helped you ultimately make that decision um, I think I just really wanted to play guitar. I was in college and I was doing a lot of like um, observing classroom teaching and like, observing like choral programs and orchestral and band programs. And I was learning to conduct chorus, which I just wasn't really interested in. And I, I was just thinking like, I really want to be playing guitar right now. I don't want to be writing papers on mm. 
like uh, lesson plans and things I really mm-hmm. just want to be practicing and playing guitar and it was kind of a, a difficult decision for me because I am um, naturally like I'm pretty shy mm-hmm. so like always I never thought like I could picture myself like being on stage as a performer or anything like that mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it was kind of a, a weird decision um, so I, I have to prepare a lot in that regard but um, it's it's been it's been great I had more time to practice and now I can I can still teach I teach a lot mm. um, and I teach guitar only guitar I do private lessons and group classes still but um, I also get to perform and do you think that being shy has been something that has helped you or do you think it's something that's hindered your performing in any way <laughs> probably only hindered me <laughs> really no no well, maybe it's maybe it's helped me um because I, probably because I practiced a lot <laughs> because I just sit at home and practice no that's probably not true <laughs> um I'm trying to think if there's any benefits to being shy as a as a professional performer um I guess I guess maybe just like being very introverted is maybe has some strengths in performing where you know if you're performing on stage and it's just you you can kind of just get into your self mm. you know and you're not um I, I do have to think about like what the audience is thinking but I try to like just go inward and just you know play everything that's happening in my own head and maybe I'm as a in, more introverted person um more used to just kind of going inward anyway so when I go on stage I can do that as well mm. mm-hmm. It's funny, but it's never really occurred to me before, but performing in arts in general isn't restricted to any certain personality type. Because you do indeed have such incredibly different people who approach things in completely different ways. For instance, in something like business, I don't think you could have this much diversity of character, although I suppose we do all have to have something inside of us that drives us to show off in some kind of way, even if the character isn't really that egotistical at all. Maybe it's the desire to please or, you know, the desire to perhaps be humiliated or, or, you know, put on the spot. I don't know. It's it's odd, though, that in the classical professional world, we are such a mixed bag. Not everybody has to be ambitious and savvy or good with people. I mean, you have musicians who are fantastic, who are absolutely horrendous with management and public relations. Um, I suppose there's just a lot of freedom in that. It's nice to have different kinds of people that are performers because you don't want the same kind of person every time you see a concert. It's the same type of person, right? Well, it is funny that we want that, though, considering that a lot of performance is achievement-based and that the way that people judge performances is basically on how well it went, like execution. Um, it's weird that there's still this conversation of, well, you wouldn't want us to be all the same because, I mean, we don't, I mean, we don't have that in, in top sport, right? In a way, the similarities are there. We can love Usain Bolt for his quirky character and confidence, but we first and foremost respect his abilities as a runner. Um, I think we overlook in music that personality and character only really matter among those that we decide are winners already. Or maybe that's just a bit depressing. Um, but I do think it's true in sport, actually. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's different as a sports person. I mean, I'm definitely very, very far outside of that circle, just, you know, extrapolating similarities. But I guess in a way in music, we do want everybody to be the same, right? I mean, surely you want everybody to be faster and more efficient and pushing the boundaries. They have to be the fastest, right? Yeah, you can't be like... Mm only a little bit like you can't be like 
half as fast as anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the thing with sports is there's always a clear winner and a clear loser, right? Like if you're playing, you know, a game, I don't know. I don't know anything about sports. Uh, like, like you've got you get like a you score goals. Mm-hmm. You know, each team scores goals, and then you can actually measure the amount of points that you've racked mm-hmm. up, right? Where with music, that's the weird thing about music with competitions and or seeing somebody perform. Mm-hmm. There's no way to like measure that really because it's it's art. Well, you say that. I mean, I think definitely in theory, but then most of what we do is still measured. It's just not measured by us. In an artistic, you know, vocational career, I think it's pretty normal that our success is decided by others, which is maybe why we feel this need to kind of grab onto it, try and own it, try and define what we're happy with or not, make it ours because, you know, our success and the measurement of it doesn't belong to us. Yeah, other people measure it and they all kind of have their own way of measuring it. It's, it that is interesting. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're talking about measuring success and others measuring it for us and trying to feel that we're enough as we are, I'd like to talk a little bit about Instagram. So we are both active on Instagram, sharing videos of our playing, and that's actually how we first met and how we first connected. Um, And since then, we've spent time together in New York. We've talked a lot over the phone. One thing that keeps coming up is how to keep a hold of the anxiety that comes with the numbers on Instagram. Um, So we're talking about the likes, the follows. I mean, you can play something you think is great and it won't make 10,000 views ever. And you can post a video of, you know, string snapping and you get 100,000 views in a day. And it's something that um, does lead us both to feel a little bit anxious at the best of times. Yeah, that will also be never enough. Um, you get to you get to whatever your goal is, a thousand followers. Mm. Then you're thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great if I had ten thousand? Then I could get the swipe up feature. Yeah. And then it's like, well, fifty thousand is great. Then you get to fifty, and it's like, wow, what if what if it was a hundred? Yeah. <laughs> then it's like, and then you're at a hundred, and you're looking at people that have like two hundred, three hundred, then the million. Like, when does it ever become enough? Yeah. Mm, and I think it is tricky. It's a pretty anxious game with numbers because obviously all of those those accounts and the numbers are people. Um, and it feels very dangerous to willingly put your success into the hands of others. Um, and also something I think to contend with for us is I think people do have a strange opinion of what social media's function is, especially in the classical guitar world. Um, I remember in the first lockdown when people were going um, on the YouTube train and thinking it's crazy how all these people who've been preaching about how social media is ruining art are now joining the world and hoping everyone will accept them. And I mean, I don't know what your experience of this is, but at least in my life and circles that I um, sort of operate in, people have been very vocal about how they've always thought that I wouldn't be a good player because I use Instagram, which is kind of ludicrous if you think about it, because they're just two separate things. I know that people probably, I think there's like some kind of a thing with people thinking Instagram and social media as we like look down on influencers, Mm. but I think our culture like sees, um, you know, people that are like Instagram models, Instagram influencers who like sell products and they, you roll your eyes. You know, we always see those, those articles about like um, influencers demanding free hotels and things like that. Mm. So I think that, I mean, I know for seeing your page, it's like very um, honest and you're not trying to sell anything crazy or like, 
you know, editing, you know, the the background to pretend like you're in some place that you're not, like all these things that influencers do. So maybe I think that social media just has this like bad rap. And then also like older people maybe um, aren't on it, so they don't understand. They just think it's like something that, you know, young people do. Like, I don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. They don't have, they're not on it at all. So they just like, just write off the whole thing. Mm The one thing that I've been noticing with in, with um, social media in general, I guess maybe it's because of how overproduced Instagram has been in like the past years. Like I know I saw an article online where like this influencer got called out because she was using the same like sky in every picture. Like it was the same like exact clouds and like she was editing the sky in every picture and people noticed that the sky was exactly the same and she was just editing it and they're like are you even in this place like you're just making up these pictures and i think that we're getting like a backlash against things that are like overly edited and um, i noticed with like things like um tiktok Mm -hmm. where everybody kind of likes the authenticity of like you just grab your phone and Mm -hmm. talk to the camera or something so i wonder if like we're going to be going back to that where we're going to go back to being more authentic and less like you know editing in every single cloud into your picture Mm -hmm. Well, fakeness online is a really fascinating topic. I actually recently just gave a talk for the GFA Guitar Summit, and I had this long and interesting discussion with the students about this. What does fake mean online? Is there a way that you can be dishonest online? Because simply not sharing things, is that being dishonest or presenting things in a better light than they are? Is that being dishonest, especially when you're using your account to promote your career? It's very difficult. Um, I think the tolerance that we have for what we as an audience fill in as the rest of someone else's life, um, as we see it, is essentially just something that has more to do with us than with people being fake online. I mean, we never have complete access to someone else's life. Why would we think we have it online? It's, It's so strange. It's kind of like just another way that you present yourself, like you present yourself to the world and you don't show everybody you're like that you're having a terrible day as you're, you know out with friends or something a lot of times you just kind of present yourself and try to like show the best that you can every day most people do anyway and then same thing with social media just try to like show your best self I guess (laughs) showing your best self just sounds like really cheesy (laughs) it's weird because like I like that you said you know as like artists you want to share what you can and share it with other people and present it but then it's like as a whole, we're not doing that. Yeah. We're doing the opposite. It is really like you have to play things, you know, a certain way. You have to like maybe look a certain way and play at a certain place. Mm. Um, it is funny. I think it was in the um, this Facebook meme group, Julian Bream posting for nocturnal teens I think <laughs> I'm not going to remember the person's name or the how they said it but somebody was talking about this sub for sub sort of follow for follow time in the first lockdown in 2020 um, and I don't remember the exact phrase although I did love it um, but I feel like in that time people were really getting on board with social media until I realized that actually that whole thing was a sort of physical movement manifestation of people completely not realizing the staying power of the online world. 
a kind of thinking that they could cheat the system, which I suppose means that much of what those people think of social media is that it's a sort of fake, hyper-real ecosystem where you could potentially introduce a completely new set of animals and replace the existing ones with not only no negative consequence, but with positive personal effect. And it's odd, it, it reeks of that kind of exclusive air that we already have issues with in the classical music world, um, is sort of is something that bothers me anyway and we talk a lot about sharing and inclusion and helping people but so much of the way that the classical world actually operates is incredibly exclusive and cliquey and judgmental in a way that isn't conducive basically to anything and definitely not to sharing music or making better music i know well it's like it's kind of like the the way i think about with like competition online or just with other you know artists you think about like you get into a competitive mindset of are they doing better than me or should I be more like them? But if other classical guitarists, I guess, or other classical musicians are doing well, it shows that there's an audience for it and it's actually better for you as well. Like if you are doing really well in your concerts, I would be happy because people are like enjoying that. So they'll probably like whatever I'm doing or if you know somebody else is playing something, they'll probably like what I'm doing. And now there's more audience for um, guitar. Yeah, I think that our generation is definitely like, um, definitely likes to fill each other up and um, I think likes the diversity in playing styles and things mm. like that. I've noticed a lot of people that are younger like hearing, even if it's the same piece, they like to hear something, um, something different. Mm. I had, um, I played, <laughs> this is, this was a weird one, but I played um, Capriccio Arve on YouTube and I had a bunch of people saying stuff like, this is fine, but like when I when I like when I hear this piece, I like to think of the great masters. And it's like <laughs> it's like they will not let anybody else who's not Segovia like play this piece, which is you know I just hope that we can get out of that kind of a thing. Mm. I think one thing that massively contributes to this sort of toxic cycle is that lots of people within the competitive sphere and especially in art really truly believe that we live in a zero sum game. Um, which for those that don't know is a situation where if you win, I lose. If I win, you lose. And in reality, life is not like that at all, and especially not in music. Hannah, what is a lesson that you would like to impart? Um, a lesson I would like to impart is kind of the same stuff that we were talking about, just making um, the process um, enjoyable. Um, if you're, you know, trying to be a professional or if you're an amateur um, and you're trying to get better, I think it's just enjoying where you're at while you're trying to get better and um, letting to seeing where it takes you. Make sure that you're not like stuck in like a, a rut of what you're doing. You want to always be doing new things and doing interesting things, but also be open-minded to um, even criticism, I think mm. sometimes it's hard to take criticism and, you know, you, you might t play for a teacher that you, you know, you play in a master class or something and you think, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't good advice. I don't even like that teacher's playing anyway mm. or something, but they, they had something to say or, or like, um, you know, you get a comment or after a concert or something and somebody gives you something that's not a great comment. They had an experience in your performance and you made them feel this way so even if it's not even if they're not an expert mm -hmm. they 
we're in your concert. So listen to what they're saying. And maybe it's not something that you need to apply. Maybe it's, it's, you can decide if it's not something you exactly need to apply to that, but you're going to listen to it and think about it. Mm. I mean, they're on the other side. You're, it's, they're having a different experience they're on the other side of what you're doing. So it's interesting to know what they think. And if they think something that isn't good, you could, should still listen and not just shut down because you're getting criticism. It's like impermanent. You, you play mm. in this moment. And when you get done playing your piece, that's, that's it. You, you did it. There's nothing you can fix now. It's over. So it's hard to just like get started. You want to say things like, uh, oh, don't judge my tone because I have bad nails today mm-hmm. or something, you know, it's, but <laughs> you have to just let it go at some point, you know. Mm. I used to um, get really, like, down on myself after I would finish performing, and, you know, there's, obviously, there's always, like, mistakes in your performing. I When I was in my undergrad, I played in a recital, and I had, like, I think I had a memory slip or something in a piece, and afterwards, my professor said, wow, you sounded amazing. You sounded great. And I said, no, I didn't. I had that huge memory slip and, you know, something, something happened, something happened. And he was like, I just told you that you did well. And now you're telling me that I'm wrong and that, you know, you're arguing with me and that's not like a nice thing to do. And I was just like, yeah, if, if somebody comes up and compliments you, don't, just like tell them that they're completely wrong they're stupid like you did it was terrible what are you thinking so whatever you did if somebody says they liked it just you know you have to just accept it and thank them and not get too upset also i think that um people want to go to a concert and enjoy it they want you get on stage Mm -hmm. and they are sitting there ready to hear something that they're gonna love so it's easy to have them enjoy it because they're already ready to enjoy it. They paid for this concert or they took their time out to go to it. They're going to enjoy it as long as you don't like, you know, fall off the stage or something or leave. They're going to they're going to like it. So And even then, I mean, I've seen people break strings and fall off the stage, have a nosebleed. Audiences love that experience because it ties what they're listening to to a real life sensation, a sort of you had to be there feeling. Um and it's so memorable. I so I think being backstage remembering that pretty much all of those things that we worry about are actually in a way favorable for an audience that's what they would rather so we have very little to worry about in reality hannah what is a lesson that you are currently working on i said that i read these and i thought i had answers but now i have to rethink this after this conversation i'm like rethinking all of it <laughs> thank you for listening to fred not if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review and subscribe to be the first to hear every new episode as soon as it comes out. Join me in two weeks' time where I'll be talking to Kiad Wells about diversity in the classical guitar world and how on a personal level and a global level we can make lasting change 